Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 and 22. And I don't, most people, I don't think I've ever connected to these two verses, but I think there's something here. Proverbs 18, 21 and 22. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Notice that. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, you're going to eat your words. Your, your words are creating fruit in your life that you're going to have to eat. And he who finds a wife finds a good thing, receives favor from the Lord. As, almost as if the proverb writer is saying, hey, married couples, don't forget, your spouse is a good thing. Marriage is a God thing. Speak life into it. Don't speak death into it now. This is a good thing. I think, I think the Holy Spirit and His genius is connecting these two ideas. So I want to talk from this subject, cracking the code of communication. Cracking the code of communication. Today's going to help you. Look at your neighbor say, today's going to help you. Look at the other neighbor on the other side say, today's going to help you too. Today's going to help you too. <laughs> All right, now you don't get to say anything else to your spouse you don't get to say anything else to your husband or wife the rest of the message. Now you got to just look ahead. Now it's for you. Okay, now it's for, now it's for you. Father, thank you for your word. I pray you speak now clearly in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, there is power in your words. The, the power of life and death is in your tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. I'm eating my words, my, my words are creating for me a reality. Don't, don't think so much like I'm speaking things into existence. Don't, don't think so much like that. Rather think that, that my, my words are creating realities that I believe, that I'm eating from, that I'm finding my sustenance and my strength in. And I'm either speaking life or I'm speaking death over my marriage, over my family, over my future, over my uh, work, over my occupation, over my business. I'm either speaking words of life or I'm speaking words of death. And no matter what I'm saying, I'm going to have to eat those words. Now that's an Old Testament paradigm that James catches up on. The book of James is actually called, uh, theologians call it the New Testament book of Proverbs. James says it like this in James chapter 3, that a great ship is not moved by the winds, the great, a great ship is not moved by the waves. The great, a great ship is not moved by a storm, but a great ship is moved by something you cannot see, and that is a rudder. And in the same way that that rudder is moving the ship, James says your tongue is the rudder of your life, determining where you're going to go. This means that my life is not simply the result of circumstance. My life is not simply the result of the winds, of the storm, of the waves, of family history, or anything else. My life is being moved by a rudder called my confession. Yesterday, a buddy of mine posted an Instagram of, a, uh, of his uh, gas at the, at the gas station, and it was like $45 to fill up his car, and he he said, boy, I sure missed the days of $25 like last year. It's going to be a tough four years. And I just thought, can God not provide for you? Can God not make a way for you? I don't want to pay more for gas either. 
But can, can, is, is God not your Jehovah Jireh? Is God not your provider? Are you literally for the next four years going to talk about the gas prices? Or are you going to believe God to bring supernatural provision? Come on. Watch your tongue. Because he was talking about the wind and the waves. Now, I don't like, my card costs 90 bucks to fill up. I'm not excited about it, but I believe that God, <laughs> I'm not moved by that. I'm moved by my confession, by the rudder of my mouth, and I'm not going to kick around for the next four years complaining about gas prices. I'm going to believe God to provide for my life. Amen. Amen. So God created the world with his words, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, let there be light. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. So there is power in your words. Pastor Jimmy Evans said that every great marriage has a positive tone. Every great marriage has a positive tone. But now, let me go further. Words are powerful. But not all communication is verbal. Goldie has this thing with me right now. Here it is. Dad, look at me. She didn't learn that from TV. She didn't learn that from us. She just intuitively knows at four years old that communication is more than verbal. So she'll come home from dance class and she wants me to see the new dance moves that she learns. And I might be cleaning the kitchen. I might be cooking dinner. I might be taking out the trash. I might be doing the laundry, serving my wife. Amen. As Christ serves the church. And I might just be doing all these things. It's kind of true. And so, and (laughs) I might be on my laptop. Amen. Okay. And, 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 and she'll start to dance, and I'm like, oh, that's great, honey, that's great, honey. And she'll go, Dad, no, 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 look at me. And so as she's doing her dance and as she's showing me her moves, every once in a while she'll just peek over. <laughs> Why? Because she knows something intuitively that communication is more than verbal. Yeah. It's body language, it's eye contact, it's tone, it's facial expressions. They all play a part of communication. So if you go to your spouse and go, honey, I'd like to talk to you about something, and, and your spouse immediately, okay. <sighs> what? It's over. Get in the octagon, baby. We throw it down. It's on. Hey, honey, can I just talk? Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll work, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll, well, you might have said the right thing, but communication is more than verbal. That's why some communication uh, specialists actually say that if you can, like if you're being confronted at work and maybe you're behind a desk or, or somewhere, they actually say, put your hands out like this, to just get in an open posture, because you're, the, the person confronting you may not see your hands, but they'll just Feel that you're more open because, because you're like this. Communication is verbal, but it's more than verbal. So, so even more importantly than speaking to your spouse, you have to learn how your spouse hears it. Hello. And every man in here just went, I'm just trying to talk to my wife, bruh. How was your day? Good. How was golf? Fun. 
How is work? Okay. We're, we're just trying to learn how to talk. Let alone speak your language. And yet, this is the key. Cracking the communication code. This is the key. Learning to speak in a language that your spouse understands. So it's not just what makes sense to you, it's what makes sense to them. This uh, week, my wife and I got in an argument, as we do. We're just like you, we're normal people. And so we got in an argument, and as we were cooling off and beginning to discuss why we were arguing, she goes, you just flew off the handle, you just freaked out on me. Well, I disagreed. But I could spend the next three days defending myself, fighting with her, explaining to her that I did not get angry. But if that's what she heard, then I should be humble enough to go, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I communicated in a way that made you feel attacked. Now, hey, could, could we be five days later still fighting? Because I'm going to stand my ground? Sure. But why live that way? Instead, you have to learn to celebrate the difference of your spouse, not criticize it. And if you heard it that way, and if you felt it that way, then why not just work for the betterment of the marriage? Think of it like this. Entering a marriage is like entering a foreign country that speaks a different language. So you move down to Mexico and you just refuse to learn Spanish. You just refuse. You know what? You can live down there for 20 years and try to find an English speaker here and there and try to find some people, some expats, try to find some people that speak English, try to find. And you could do that and you could live frustrated or you could choose to learn the language of new territory. When you're single and you get married, you enter new territory. And you have to learn the new language. And the new language is what your spouse speaks. So as a man, you talk a certain way. As a woman, you talk a certain way. And sometimes your languages are much more compatible. Maybe you grew up in kind of the same backgrounds and kind of the same families, kind of the same cultures. And so it might be a little easier. Or you might come from absolute opposite, polar opposites. Either way, it is on you. This is what makes a great marriage. Not two strong, great people. You know, pe- people say, you know, it's not, it's not one half and another half that, that make one in a marriage. It's one whole and another whole that make it a... I get it, but I, I know a lot of dysfunctional married people, so I don't think it's that. Here's what I think... <laughs> Here's what I think makes a great marriage. Because I think we condemn people who are single like, well, I guess I'm just not ready. Well, no, I know a lot of people get married that aren't ready. So, so, so don't live in that condemnation, especially if you're single. Here's what makes a great marriage. Here's what happy couples know. I have to be a student. I have to be a lifelong learner of Shannon Chavez. Learning how she hears. Learning how she speaks learning how she feels, learning. I have to become a student. So here's what happy couples know. They know that they're going to have to learn the the language of their spouse. This requires humility, patience, and commitment. So more than just words, 
you have to learn to say it in a way that they hear it. So here's the first phrase you need to learn. I love you. You have to learn how to say I love you to your spouse. Well, I've said that. I, I've used that phrase. Cool. But more than those three words, how does your spouse hear I love you? Because there's a good chance that the way that they hear I love you is not the way you're saying I love you. Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. If I could just take that further, spouse, love your spouse the way Christ loves the church. Both of you. Wives commit to your husbands, husbands commit to your wives. Commit to loving your spouse as Christ loves the church. Here's why this is important. Because if you're ever going to love this way, if you're ever going to love like Christ, that means you have to learn to love, express love, and receive love by becoming a student of the ministry, the life, and the teachings of Jesus Christ. If I'm going to love my wife like Christ loves the church, then I need to be a disciple of Jesus. Because I'm going to learn love from love personified, and his name is Jesus. He is love in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. So, so let me just say this, especially to new believers. The whole Bible is important. From Genesis to Revelation, every book matters, every chapter matters, every verse matters. But as you are growing in your faith, it is vitally important, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that you learn from the Gospels, the stories and the teachings of Jesus Christ, the red letters, those, those places in your scripture where Jesus is teaching, Jesus is speaking, Jesus is ministering, because in order for me to ever love my sp spouse the way that Christ loves the church, I'm going to have to learn what love is from Jesus. So here's what love is. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. You will not find one song on the radio defining love that way. You will not find one romantic movie defining love that way. Because the way culture defines love and the way America and the West has defined love looks nothing like the Scripture. So love in our culture is a feeling. Oh, is love at first sight? No, that's impossible. It's impossible. <laughs> well, man, I just fell out of love. You fell out? Well, you can fall back in. Why? Because love is not a feeling. Love is not butterflies in your stomach. Love is not chemistry. Love is not sex. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. So here's the question, especially if you're not in love with your spouse right now. Can you be patient? Can you be kind? Can you stop being envious? Can you stop boasting? Can you stop being so prideful? Can you start listening to them? Can you stop dishonoring them? Can you stop being self-sinking? Can you stop being so easily angered? Can you stop keeping a record of wrongs? Can you stop delighting in evil? And can you start rejoicing in the truth? Can you start protecting your spouse, trusting your spouse, hoping in the future of your marriage with your spouse, persevering with your spouse, and never failing with your spouse? 
Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. Love is sacrifice. I learned love from Jesus. And now as I become a student of Jesus, I now pour that love out on my spouse. And I love the feelings, but feelings follow. Feelings follow. Yeah, man, we're just going to divorce. We just, we just fallen. I just don't love her anymore. It's a choice. What you're saying is you don't have those emotions that you felt at first. Those can come back. What you're saying is you don't have chemistry anymore. Those can come back. Okay. I know. I'm all over everybody right now, so I'm going to keep going. So there's a, there's a great book. Thank you for trying. Thank you for trying. She was like, oh, never mind. No one wants to clap for this preaching. Okay. I felt too, though. So there's a great book, great book called The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Fantastic book. Okay. We're going to clap for Gary. All right. <laughs> so we have words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, physical touch, all awesome. And uh, you, you need to know what yours are, and you need to know what your spouse's are. Some of you are like, well, all five are mine. No, you're dysfunctional. <laughs> you need counseling. Because <laughs> if it's all five, you're crazy. You should probably have two that are stronger than the other five. And so you need to be able to define that and define that with your spouse. And this is hard, especially for men. This is hard to communicate, but you have to learn how to communicate with your spouse. Talking about I love you. Communicating to your spouse like this, when you do that, that makes me feel loved. When you say that, man, that makes me feel loved. When you do that, I don't, I don't feel loved. When you, when you say those things to me, I don't feel loved. But when you do that, man, it makes me come alive, I feel loved. That's your love language. You have to figure out how to define your love language and your spouse's love language so that you can work harder to speak each other's language. So my wife, it's quality time. Quality time. Here's what that means. If we're at dinner, this can't come out without permission. Like, honey, can I film Goldie eating that? Yes, okay, then I'm gonna. But I don't, this doesn't come out. Now here's what's crazy. She can be on her phone. No shade, I got permission to say this, no shade. Because that's not my love language. I don't care. I mean, you know what I mean? I want her to hold my hand at dinner. Come on, somebody, physical touch. I don't care about... Scroll Instagram, just hold my hand while you're scrolling. So what that, what that means is she'll be on her phone, and I'll be like, okay, I guess we're... Okay, and I'll go to grab my phone. She'll just look up. What are you doing? You ignoring the kid? What are you doing? We're right here. No, 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 honey. I was just checking the menu. I was just, no, it was nothing. I was, menu's digital now. I just, no, it was nothing. It was nothing. Okay, cool, cool. Okay, yeah, yeah, no, no, we're good. That's her love language. So we could fight that for years, or I could start speaking her language, which means I put the phone down, which means I don't answer the phone, which means I don't check. I, it, it goes away because that's her language. I can be in the house with her and Goldie and the TV's on and the laptop's open and the phone's on and the guitar's over here and Bentley's running around and Goldie's on the scooter and music's playing and I'm okay. I'm just like pumped to be in the room with everybody.
but that's not quality time to her. So you have to, you have to learn to say that. But now, beyond the love language, there's something even more important. And that is the mega need of every man and woman. Here is the mega need of men. Honor. Honor. The mega need of a man is honor. And I've been thinking about this this week. I believe that a lot of men actually enter their adulthood and into marriage with a lot of father wounds. Um, Their dad may have been there, may have not been there, but they did not get the love and affirmation that they needed as a child. So as a married man, your husband actually needs some of those affirming words that he's missing. I'm not asking you to be his father, but I'm definitely asking you not to be his mother. So when I say honor, when I talk about a father wound, here's what a man needs to hear. You got this. You have what it takes. And you tell your husband he has what it takes. You want to know why? Because we don't think we have what it takes. Actually, we know we don't. We know we don't. Well, we ain't going to ever admit that. We're going to work hard. We're going to be the man of the house. And we're going to act like, but inside we're going, can someone just, we need that proverbial smack on the butt. Good job. You're killing it. Oh, thank you. Well, appreciate it. <laughs> I've been doing a pretty good job around here. been taking out the trash and been putting a bag back in when I, when I take out the old bag. And... No big deal. No big deal. No big deal. Getting the kids ready in the morning, no big deal, whatever. Taking them to school, whatever. No, it's no big deal. We, we, need, we need honor. We need, we need thank you. And you go, well, I don't, I don't need to thank you for doing what you need to do. I understand that. But we're talking about what happy couples know. So you could be cold and gray and lukewarm the rest of your marriage. Go for it. Well, I don't need to thank him for working. I don't need to thank him for taking the kids out. I don't need to thank You don't. But you should. Because there is this indescribable, undefinable, mega need in me for honor. For good job. For you have what it takes. For you can do this. For you can lead this family. For you can make decisions. For I'm, I believe you can, you, can, you can steer this family forward. There's something in us. There's something in us that needs it. It's this, it's not just words of affirmation, but it is this, this word of, of affirmation that we receive from our wives that just says, you got this. And here's what a woman needs. A woman's mega need is security. Honey, it's only you. You can trust me. I am responsible there are no secrets. Here you go. Here's my passcode. By the way, just throw your, throw your face on the face recognition. It's yours. Whatever you want. Here's my Twitter. Here's my Instagram. Here's my TikTok. Here's my Facebook. Here's my email. Here's my text messages. Here's my phone records. Here's my credit card statements. Everything. It's all yours. I am, I am an open book. A woman needs that. Not because they're jealous, dude. Well, my wife's just jealous. You know, I've met a lot of men who have divorced their wives and said, well, my wife was crazy. 
And I believe that you created such an insecure environment. By the way, those men always cheat, by the way. <laughs> oh! Hey! Sorry. I didn't mean to. So they cheat on their wives. They marry someone new and they go, yeah, yeah, my ex-wife. Man, she was crazy. She was crazy because you, you created an insecure environment that fed jealousy, that fed dishonor, that fed insecurity. So the more, here's what I've learned, 15 years, I'm not an expert, but 15 years in, here's what I've learned. The more of an open book I am, the more secure Shannon is. Now, can you do these things and your spouse still goes crazy? Of course, of course. Can they still leave you and can they still break? Of course, that can still happen. But most marriages break down because we, we've never practiced this. No secrets. No, you are secure. You are secure. There, there is something about that that is so powerful. Now, a lot of you guys probably thought that the mega need of men was sex. And you're like, what? Bro, this was the moment, dog. You were going to help me out. <laughs> why didn't you? Why are you leaving me hanging? Here's what I'll say. Here's what sex is. Sex is the most beautiful, private, intimate, and fun expression of communication. And if the woman can feel secure and the man can feel honored, sex is going to be Fire. You know, you can, have, you can have sex and it's not good. I'm, I'm serious. I'm not trying to be crude. I'm, be, because, because here's how a lot of sex happens in marriages. I have a need. You got to, I got needs. Oh, 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 I got needs. Ah. Wow, that's. Bruh, that's not going, it's not working. It's not going to work. So work on making her feel secure. And secure women will become more sexual. It, within marriage, you understand what I mean. Okay, now let me, let me go further. Ladies, though, let me challenge you real quick. Hide behind this thing when I say this. <laughs> Ladies. Weston, come up here. Stand it. No, no, no. <laughs> Ladies, as a, as a man of God, we are trying to not lust, not look at porn, not go to the strip clubs, not do all these things that men do. Well, yeah, you know, I don't sleep with my wife, but I love her, but I sleep with these other women. That's in the world. That's how it is. As a, as a man of God, as a believer, we, by the scripture, are only allowed to express sexuality with our spouse. So this means you are the only form of sexual expression we have. So be nice. <laughs> Amen. Be because, I know, I know it's a little awkward to say that, but we're, we're, we don't want to go look at that stuff. We don't want to go, we're, we're trying to be a man of honor. So the more we can work together in our communication, so again, honor and security, 
Five love languages. When we speak the language of I love you, where I feel loved and you feel love, where you hear love and I hear love, where I speak love and you speak love, yes, sex will improve and should. Amen? Amen. Number two. Let me just start with number two. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I said all this just now, okay? No, I'm sorry. Not, when, when we talk about communicating the language of our spouse, we're talking about them hearing it correctly. So here's what uh, uh, parenting experts tell us. That as you're raising your toddler, three, four, and five years old, you are not supposed to teach them to say, I am sorry. Because at three and four and five, they don't have the mental maturity or the emotional maturity to understand what that means. So your four-year-old son goes up to another kid, punches him, and you scream at him, say you're sorry. And they go, I'm sorry. They don't know what that meant. So you don't teach them to say I'm sorry. You teach them empathy. You teach them compassion. And you go, hey, buddy, that hurt him. Hey, buddy, that made him sad. Hey, you don't want to get punched in the face, right? No, no, okay, okay. And you put them in the other person's shoes. And it, it exposes their emotions to, oh, okay, that's why I don't hit. So you don't have to teach them, I'm sorry yet. That'll come later, and they do need to learn how to say it. But more importantly, they have to understand the, 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 the impact of their actions. Hear me, a lot of couples don't know how to really apologize. They've learned to say, I'm sorry, but they haven't learned how to get in the shoes of their spouse. Well, God, I said I'm sorry. I mean, God, what else do you want? I want you to be sorry. Amen. Come on, say amen. I don't, I don't want you to say I'm sorry. I want you to be it. I want to, the, the scripture actually talks about fruits of repentance. I, I want you to feel what I'm feeling. I want you to acknowledge and validate the pain you've caused. So there's a big difference. Now, when we talk about apologizing, I'm going to give you two unhealthy ways to apologize. Number one, you apologize as a form of defense and explanation. Now, by the way, if, you're, if, you're, if you've been around church for a long time, you've heard of an apologist or a Christian apologist, apologetics. It's because that Greek word literally means to defend or explain. And that's where we get apologized from. So it's a, it's a terrible word for this. Because what we do is we go, well, I'm, you know, I'm sorry I got angry, but it's just crazy at work right now. Well, you know, I, I'm sorry I was frustrated when I got home, but come on, you know I want the house clean when I get home. Do you see it? You just voided your apology. You never apologize with an explanation. This is so key. Do the, and don't do it with your kids. Don't do it. Learn this. Because I know so many people that know how to manipulate situations with apologies. And you're not, you're not remorseful, you're not repentant, you're manipulating. Well, you know, I'm sorry I did that, but, 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 but here's another thing. Don't apologize 
to get someone's forgiveness. Man, I just need some peace in this house. Man, she's going to be mad at me for seven days if I don't. Uh, I'm sorry, honey. I'm not apologizing for your forgiveness or to demand your forgiveness. Now, Christians even take this a step further, and it's awful. And they, go, they say something like this. You need to forgive me because Jesus forgives me. What, you better than Jesus now? Like what, you can't forgive me? I ain't Jesus, bruh. <laughs> so we now use religion to manipulate. I don't apologize for forgiveness. Those first two are unhealthy ways to apologize, and it's how most people do apologize. Here is the third way and the only healthy way to apologize. I apologize because I'm wrong. I apologize because I hurt you. I apologize because I love you. I apologize because I want to heal the relationship. I apologize to validate your pain. And I don't take your pain lightly. Do you see the difference? Well, well, how long are they going to be mad at me? I don't know. But you're apologizing because it's the right thing to do. James chapter 1 verse 19. You must all be, look at this, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Colossians chapter 3 verse 12. I'm telling you, this is what happy couples know. Can I just tell you? Let me just, I know it's heavy in here and quiet in here, but let me just, happy couples know this stuff. They know the importance of Christ-motivated, Holy Spirit-saturated apologies that I am not just trying to get out of trouble. I love you so much, and I don't want to hurt you. There is such a difference. Watch this, watch this. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Clothe yourselves. You know what that means? It means it's a choice means you decide to do it okay now let me flip it real quick because some of you are going oh thank god you're talking about this my spouse never apologizes let me help you now when asking for an apology remember to avoid phrases like you always and you never You always do that. You always say that. You never do that. You never say that. You, here we go again. You always. You never. Experts tell us this. And this isn't from the Bible, but this is uh, from, a, um, from a therapist. And it, it, I've lived this, okay? So it's true because I've lived this countless times. The louder you get, the angrier you get, the more demonstrative you get, and the longer you go, the more defensive your spouse becomes. So instead of saying, you hurt me, you decide to bring a year's worth of baggage to the party. (sighs) You always, you never, you always, you did, da, 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 and you get loud and you get angry and you go long. 
And all your spouse can do, which is just an inward defense that we're just born with, we just start, we start to close off. And we start now, because here's what we know. We know that we don't always. We know that we don't never. So the, the moment you start using hyperbole is the moment I start going, well, no, it's not like I always do that. I mean, it's not like I've never done that. It's not like I, right? Does that make sense? So you start, and many of you, you cannot get your spouse to apologize because the, the, the runway to the apology is so long that by the time they can speak, they're now so defensive. So I was watching a TED Talk this week with a, with a therapist, and she said that she, one of her, uh, a person that um, she was working with had attempted suicide. And uh, after a few weeks of finally recovering and um, getting, getting back out to public life, her student went back to college. And her professor found out that she attempted suicide. And her professor said, wow, I'm so shocked you attempted suicide. I thought you were a stronger person. She was heartbroken by what he said. So she went back to her counselor. And she said, I'm going to go after this guy. So she writes a five-page letter. Expletive, curse word, I can't, you, this, you, that, you. And she goes, I'm going to read this to him, or I'm going to give it to him. And the counselor said, if you give him that letter, and you have every right to, but if you give him that letter, by page two, all of his defenses will be up. And he won't apologize and he won't see the wrong that he did. So they decided to write a six-sentence letter. Just about the size of a post-it. And it went something like this. I've always looked up to you. You've been such an important voice in my life. And your words crushed me. I hope you'll reconsider treating people like this. Needless to say, that professor was mush, completely apologized, and really learned from that season. Because the longer it goes, and the more broad it goes, the harder it can be to define, like, what were we even fighting about? Y'all ever been there? Come on, Mary P. Like, what were we... I know something started this four days ago. <laughs> Am I the only? Okay, well, a little too honest. Okay, so, so here's, here's how you ask for an apology. Number one, you have to be vulnerable. You hurt me. I'm hurt. Number two, be specific. Don't, don't carry all that with you. Just specifically go, this happened and it hurt me. Be humble enough to just let your emotions be bare and then trust God. I've said this before, uh, last time we did this series. Allow the Holy Spirit to be the enforcer, not you. So you go, this hurt me, this happened, my heart's broken. And then you allow the Spirit of God to do whatever he's going to do. And I believe that if you'll do that, and we, this is something we've learned in our marriage, we are so much quicker to apologize. Our apologies are so much more sincere. 
They're so much more real. They're not like, I'm just trying to calm it down. They're actual, I love you and I don't want, to, I don't want you to feel this way. And it has caused a whole new level of intimacy in our marriage. Come on, we're cracking the code of communication here. Am I helping you? Am I helping you? Am I helping you here? Okay. I love you. I'm sorry. Number three, I celebrate you. I celebrate you. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, we go back here. Love always trusts. I trust you. This word trust literally comes from the idea of I believe the best. I believe the best. And I'm going to use my words to celebrate the best in you. Ephesians 5.26, using the water of the word to cleanse you. Come on, our words should be fresh drinking water that satisfy the soul of our spouse. It should be beautiful. This, James said, don't let, don't let fresh water and salt water come out of your mouth. Paul says, speak the water of the word over your spouse. Speaking life. So that when you're around your spouse, when I'm around Shannon, she makes me feel clean, brave, secure, courageous, loved. Because of the words she speaks and the words I speak. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with this bit of research. and You can go ahead. Um, in the book... One Thing You Need to Know by Marcus Buckingham, which is a, an incredible leadership book, by the way. One Thing You Need to Know. Buckingham shares a study about happily married couples who have been married for more than 20 years. Anybody over 20 in here? Over 20? All right, all right. Yay! Give my hand. Come on, that's amazing. Who have been married over 20 years, and they were trying to find out why are they still happily married. Not just married, happily married. Here's what the researchers assumed. Watch this. They assumed that the couples over time had lowered their expectations of their spouse. That's what they assumed. Well, he's a jerk, but he's mine. <laughs> she's mean, but she's mine. You know, that, you know, that's what they expected. They expected that over time you just lower your expectations. But come on, we're talking about what a happy couple's now. Amen? Not, not what a... Grumpy couples, no, not what, they found the exact opposite. Watch this, watch this. These couples, now they, they did this study over a 20-year period. Here's what they found out. That when they did interviews and had them rate themselves and rate their spouse on different things, every happily married couple rated their spouse more positively than the spouse did. They gave them higher scores on generosity, higher scores on chemistry, higher scores on work ethic, higher scores on talent. They, think about this. This led the research team to declare that literally love is blind. <laughs> Isn't that so cool? They said that this positive view of their spouse, this is how they describe it, led to an upward spiral of love. Now, I don't know if I would ever say that publicly, but what a cool way if we could define our marriages that way. Man, how's your marriage going? Genuinely? 
It's like a love tornado, bruh. It's just an upward spiral of love. Come on, somebody. I'll take that. Okay. And here's how they figured out how to do it. Watch this. Please, please hear me. Create the most generous explanation of your spouse that you can. And then make the choice to believe that. Boy, this is fire. I'm going to say it one more time. Like, like the sweet Instagram post you post once a year for their birthday or anniversary. No, not once a year, every day. You create the most generous explanation of your spouse that you can. You do it. You define it. And then you choose to believe it because love always trusts. Because love chooses to believe the best. Because love chooses not to get caught up on who you're not, but rather celebrate who you are. Love love chooses to say, I could be so mad at this one little weakness for the rest of our marriage. What happened? We get disappointed with our spouse. We go, oh, here they go again. Well, they did it again. Well, they said it again. Well, they acted that way again. And it can so easy, be so easy to lower our expectations for our staff, or of, our, of our spouse. But they said the key was to create the most generous explanation of their spouse that they could and then just choose to believe it. Like I choose to see the best in you. Are we going to grow? Yes. Are we going to continue to repent and apologize and be more like Jesus? Of course. But we're starting from the basis of generosity. We're starting from the basis of trust, not from the basis of suspicion. I celebrate you. How can you communicate to your spouse this week? I celebrate you. How can you do it? I don't know. You need to figure that out. But this is something that happy couples know. I'm 15 years in, still, still very young at this, still very new at this. But I have learned that if I can ever communicate to Shannon in a language she understands... The marriage ends up going in a, whoa, upward (laughs) spiral of love. So I want you to work on the language. Uh, I don't know how this is all going to flush out for you over the next few days, but if your spouse, watch me, watch, watch, especially men, especially men, if your, sp- if your wife opens up to you and communicates that she feels unloved in an area, please do not defend yourself because she needs security. And if she knows that she's going to get browbeaten, if she knows that she's going to have to deal with sarcasm, if she knows that she's going to have to deal with defense, She'll never speak. So when your wife opens up to you, you humble yourself, sir. 
you humble yourself and you say, okay, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to work on that. I'm going to go to the next level in that. Thank you, for tell- Thank you for telling me. Thank you for trusting me enough to tell me the truth. And there's going to be a thousand little voices back here going, now let her have it. Now tell her. Now, don't go there. Don't go there. I'm just, I'm just telling you this by the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you this. This is what happy couples know. This is what powerful marriages know. This is what unified marriages know. They know how to communicate love. They know how to communicate repentance. And they know how to communicate celebration. And so, we definitely got some homework, huh? Here's what I want you to do. If you're, if you're next to your spouse, why don't you grab their hand? How about if you're, if you're married, with or without them here, why don't you just stand real quick? If you're married... Even if you're separated right now. <sighs> Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. for the love of God to be poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I pray that as we look to Jesus, we would then love our spouse the way Christ has loved us, laying down our lives for them the way you laid down your life for us. Never for the sake of just dying to our flesh and never just for the sake of death but for the sake of resurrection pray that you would breathe a fresh wind upon your people upon every marriage I pray that if even if they feel like it's hopeless maybe even separated right now if there is any way to come back together Lord bring them back together and let no man separate them I pray that the day, today would be a day of new beginnings. Today would be a day of repentance. Today would be a day of moving forward. And today would be a day of resurrection in the life of marriages. I pray breathe upon your people, Holy Spirit. I pray help us to be more like Jesus. pray for every person that has been through a divorce and is currently hurting, currently broken, currently in pain. Oh God, that you would heal that broken heart. That they could love again, live again, dream again. That there is life again on the other side of that painful moment. And I thank you, Lord, that I believe this series will lead to generations and generations of the spirit of divorce being broken over people. And that there would be supernatural love and unity upon your people in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen.
Amen. Come on, give God some praise right there. I, I feel that, man. Hallelujah.